So what we were delving into yesterday was this connection, how the Maharal gets around the problem that's presented by Rabbi Akiva's statement that Vafterechakamecho is a Klausarobotorit. It's a incorporates most of the mitzvahs in the Torah. How does it do that? Why does this mitzvah bring about? Why is the properties of this mitzvah contained in the rest of the Torah? And the Maharal answers quite, quite. Once you've got to the understanding, clearly that in order for a person to to properly keep the mitzvah of after in order for him to to really do it, he needs to have a complete shift in his perception of self. His entire perception of self has to actually become a completely as you move to a different plane. Uh, let me uh, describe this in a little bit of detail. You know, we look at ourselves and I think our initial starting point of self-perception is very strongly rooted in, in physicality and our physical appearance and, and our body. And therefore, when we think about the, our image, it's almost inevitably linked up to our physical appearance. And hence, when we think of Selem Elohim, or let's say the image or the form that we have, we think about the form in terms of our physical form, our, how, our, height, our height, our weight, our um, endowment of uh, hair or lack thereof. These are all kind of the ways that we, we form the image of who we are. But when you think about it, the truth is form, form has a lot of different applications, even in the physical sense. For example, you can speak about a person's form when they're engaging in a sport. Person's, the form that the person has when he plays tennis. So then, when you describe form in those terms, not describing the actual anatomy, but rather what the anatomy does. That's called the form. You can speak about form in dance. The way the body moves. The movement also creates a certain form. And you can say the person has his form because of the way he moves around. Don't focus then, it's almost one step removed from the body. The body becomes the, me the mechanic, but it doesn't become the form itself. It becomes the, 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 the structural component that brings about the form. But the form isn't the body. When you look at dance, granted the dancer uses his or her body to produce the form, but the form isn't the body. It's brought about through the body, but it's not the body itself. And then, of course, it becomes more and more sophisticated. That's, that's on a physical level, a person's form, the, let's say, call it the, the form that the person takes. His image is based on what he does with his body, how he uses his body. is much more telling than just having the actual flesh and blood and not using it. Obviously, if you move on to the emotional level, so then a person also has an emotional form which is not based on the fact that he possesses those emotions, but rather how those emotions come into fruition. How does he manifest his attribute of kindness or anger or cruelty or arrogance? That becomes his form. So in other words, the form is not a static, it's actually the dynamic. The dynamic is a much more telling description than the static. And of course, in the intellectual realm, a person's form is his concepts, his ideas, his presentations, his, his, his theories. So his form becomes taken on in terms of his, his intellectual structure, his static, that's his brain, his IQ, his cognitive processes. But what he does with them becomes the form. So when we speak about the Tzelem Elohim, it's much more about what we do with the raw material than the raw material itself. 
So when we say that the person has a Tzelem Elohim, it, it's referring to really the manifestation of a deeper kind of living. So as, as, as trying to, I was processing this idea and I was thinking, well, how does the Maral says it quite categorically? He says, He says, the mitzvahs are 248. The 248 limbs are the form that we have, the image that we have, and therefore the mitzvahs which correspond to this create a spiritual form. So now, if I want to see my form as a Tzedem Elikim, the way I perceive the form is through my perspective of the mitzvahs. I was playing around with this, I was playing around with this. And I was trying to see how, how I could look at myself, let's say, as a Tzedem Elikim, through the mitzvahs. And I mentioned to you previously that one of the things I, I am exploring is that characteristically when I would go and daven in shul, so I would daven psuk de zimmer outside of the shul on the edge of a mountain, taking in the magnificent view, sometimes, you know, especially uh, in the autumn when you've got this incredibly dramatic skyscapes of these huge billowing clouds tinted by the light of the sun and so dramatic and sometimes within one cloud the, the diverse like the diverse colors you can find even though they're shades of white and gray but it's, it's magnificent especially when the, the the light of the sun catches them and then you've got this this breathtaking deep blue background it's, it's magnificent so what better place to say the Zimmer than there where you can see the Kvot revealed opening but then always, slightly, especially recently, gnawed away at me for one second. Isn't there more quote to mind? Isn't there more revelation of Hashem inside the shore where there are people and Jews? Surely that should be a greater demonstration of Hashem's awesomeness. So I've been thinking about it a lot, and this is this is this is, this is obviously kind of um, acted as a catalyst for those thought processes, the study of this of this text. And I try to think to myself, well, well, well and there's a, I can't, I can't, and then I realized how my, my perception <coughs> of myself and my perception of others is so deeply rooted in a very, very undeveloped, primitive physical perspective. And therefore, I definitely see, you know, I, one of the feelings I had is when I moved from outside to the shore is, but the trees are more pretty than these men with scraggly beards. They just are. They just like they just they're better built. I mean, I'm not saying anything about the oaks and shul, but and the chinami, and the chinami, they you know they there's some there's some scary looking fellows there. I'm telling you, scary, scary, scary. Um, so therefore, when I came and I said, where where's the fortune man? But that's because I was looking with the eyes of of, of flesh and blood, and not looking of the eyes of Kim. So I was kind of trying to rework that, and I was thinking, okay, well, let me try to change my perspective of myself. Right now, the only time I see myself is if I look in a mirror and then I see myself. But the truth is now, a mirror will be the, the worst place to see yourself. There's no, that, that you'll get the, the worst idea of, of who you are by looking in the mirror. That's not going to tell you anything about who you are. As I said in the it will tell you about what the, what the raw material is, the, 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 the stagnant um, kind of hardware is made up of. But it won't really tell you. The truth is, it won't even tell you that. It will just tell you what the bones and the flesh are. But it won't even tell you what the internal structure is. So, you know, people spend a lot of time looking in the mirror. I spend a lot of time looking in the mirror to find that, that one hair to gel. It's elusive. Important, I gel my hair, but the question is, where is it? Somewhere on that barren forehead, does it lie? But, 
you, you yeah. look and you search, and you know, especially as, a, as um, people growing up and teenagers spend enormous amounts of time, you know, in the, in front of the mirror. It's actually a fantastic thing to to start uh, hiring out, especially in shivers where they there are a scarcity. You know, you can start charging for time in front of the mirror. But it's something where you, you think that that's where you're that's where you're kind of yeah you you um. But, so I'm trying to look and create a different image of myself, try to reflect myself in a different way. So I started in the morning, and, and maybe this is a, is, is a bit of a, a way to build it up. There's a very famous Torah of Nachman of Brezov, probably the most famous Torah that he has. It's in Yerash Pei Base, everyone knows about it, that it's about judging people favorably. Judging people favorably, and it's, it's, it's got a lot of different deep chidushim, novel ideas in regard to this. But he progresses quite seamlessly to from judging others favorably to judging yourself favorably, and he has this whole new way of looking at yourself. He says the person has to go, and he, he gives an analogy of I think he he's told me that Nossan once saw a person um, scrounging around in the ruins of his fire gutted house. His house had burnt down, and really all you could see was black ashes. But he was scraping around, looking for maybe it finds something. Maybe it finds something. I mean, he probably would. It find like maybe it find a, a spoon. Maybe it find you know an old photograph which didn't hadn't been like maybe find something. So he says that's what we have to. You know, even a person if you perceive yourself as this black ruin, you have to start scrounging about amongst the ashes until you find something valuable. Just one thing. Just look for one thing valuable. One tiny little what he calls Nakuda Tovas, one small good point. And then find that point and rejoice in it. Because you can imagine if a person thinks his house has been burnt down, his house has been burnt down, and then he finds his his he finds his you know, his grandmother's candlesticks. So he'll probably be exceptionally happy. You're like, well, you idiot, your house will burn down, you know, look relatively speaking, this is like a tragedy. But a person will be happy because he'll find something which is valuable. And you know the truth is, even on one small valuable article, there's what to rejoice about. There's tuck of something to be happy about. Well, you have to be, you only have to be happy when it's everything? No! You can be happy on one thing as well. So a person that thinks that there's nothing good in their life, start searching and scrounging about and find one good thing. One good thing. One tiny, minuscule good thing. And then start to bring it out. Take it out of the ashes and start to hold it and rejoice in it. And rejoice in it. And then he says, what you should do is, the chances are, if you dig a little bit more, you'll find something else. And then, now you've got two things. And you start to arrange these things on the shelf of yourself until you've got this whole mantelpiece which is covered with these beautiful artifacts. And all of a sudden, you walk into the room and you go, wow, whoa, this is quite an exhibition. <laughs> So, you know, you think about ourselves, and this is a fantastic way of, of shifting our image, because I think our image is so, so, so <coughs> confusing, and, but think about it, you know, you say a person, you know, sometimes I'll speak to, to, to people who are, who are Jews who are engaged in the self, say, bringing out the self through mitzvahs, and they'll feel very, very depressed, and they'll feel like they're actually doing nothing. Let's start in the beginning. I was speaking to a friend of mine last night, and I said, he, I said to him, we're talking about this. He, he's like, his problem is he's always rushing on to the next thing. He's, he has a big position. He's a CEO of a couple of companies. So he says, 
he never learn, he never has time to appreciate. He never appreciates anything. So I was like, okay, stop. Let's let's try to focus on. Tell me something that you've done that you can appreciate. So he said, well, you know, he says three days. I said, ah, not three days ago. Something he did today. So he goes, long silence. I said, so he says, uh, I don't know. I said, well, did what was the first thing you did when you opened your eyes this morning? So he said, I said, Moidani. I said, you did what? He said, I said, Moidani. So what did you say? He said, Moidani lefonecho, melechai v'kayo. Shechzato binishmasi b'chemlo. Rabbi Unasecha, it's unbelievable. That means the first waking thought you had was transcendent. All of a sudden, you connected to something larger than yourself. You responded to a spiritual, you know, again, when it's said by someone else, it like sounds like this profound wisdom. But Mahatma Gandhi, the way he put it was, every night I die and I'm reborn in the morning. Mm-hmm. So when he said, you go, whoa, that's profound Eastern wisdom. No, you have one guy, wow, that's amazing. First step of the journey begins with one foot. Yeah. Whoa, the seat of the land is like the hide of a cow. You go, whoa, <laughs> like these, like these, like fantastic, like little small, like pithy statements, which could mean a billion different things. But like you leave it hanging out. The sky is but the shell of the oyster of the earth, and you go, whoa. <laughs> the forest are the eyebrows of being. Whoa, the eyebrow. <laughs> the polar tips <laughs> the ears of the reality. <laughs> and so on and so on and so on and so on. Thinking of becoming like taking out a part time job is writing mystical Zen epithets, something like that, something like that. Within the obviously unique space of my little Zen garden outside my cozy Haredi home which has presently been inundated with an entire it's like it's a little bit like autumn but instead of leaves falling being those election times these like voting people like vying for your vote all their literature kind of floats down and creates this incredible carpet beautiful carpet of all different magnificent colors on the floor that you can wade through wade through and my four-year-old son is convinced that he's voting Gimel <laughs> convinced he tells me the whole time when he, he asks his friends what they're voting sometimes they get into arguments about who they should vote for the fact that he can't vote that he doesn't know what Gimel is is completely and completely irrelevant that he is voting Gimel is a given he says it in his classic Hebrew-English mix is I'm bochering Gimel <laughs> declares it loudly <laughs> it's magic, it's magic. Elections. This is just municipal elections. If you think this is fun, <laughs> wait, wait until national elections. That's, I mean, if this is kind of like, this is like the national national finals, but national elections at the World Cup. There's the same feel of like, you know, a nice, raucous football game. But, Moide Anile Fanecho is this incredible realization of the eternity of self. It processes the entire reality of sleepful, sleep, sleep and wakefulness. 
it shows a sense of gratitude. I mean, the kind of power that's packed into that one small statement is, is, is awesome. So if you just take that statement, just take that statement, put it into your, onto your mantelpiece, and just relish it. Relish it. The moidani that you can relish. Now, beyond that, imagine the next thing you do, average day, average two, the next thing you do is you take that negovasa and you wash your hands alternately three times or three times in each. And that's, that's magnificent because when you think about the notion of water and what hands are and what they present, so the hands are, are, are the way that we come into, come into existence. You know, uh, actions are known as mycia dime, that work, my handiwork, because the way we manifest ourselves in the given world is through our hands. But of course, hands, are, hands can go in all different kinds of directions. Hands can be bad. They can, you know, they can, they can close and they can form a fist as well. They can open and they can... They can, they can accept and they can give and they can... The hands are, hands are, are very versatile. So what you want to do is that at the outset, when you want to say, I want to make an impression on this world, you want to make an impression on this world that is pure. So you take the symbol of purity, which is water, and you take the limb that embodies action, and you purify it through using water, to, as if to say, my actions are uplifted, and that's why the bracha on hands is not on the washing of hands, it's on the time of the lifting up of hands. Because the truth are, we could speak about the three different hemispheres of the upper, the lower, and the middle part where hands are meant to be, we can discuss how Rabbi Danasi never let his hands do- drop below his, his belly button. The Kohen Godel doesn't lift up his hands above his forehead where it sits. We can discuss the, ra- the range of movements of hands, but, but that's irrelevant. The point is that you're taking those hands and you're lifting them up. You're saying, my entire being is here for an elevated purpose. That's just, that's just like the first one and a half minutes of waking up. You're already on a transcendent plane. So you take those, you take those experiences and you just you can rejoice in them. But what happens is, you start to get a different sense of your form. And then you go and you, you get dressed and you present yourself in terms of your in terms of your thriller. Maybe you learn a little bit beforehand. And then you adorn yourself with your thrilling. And you're connecting to a whole kind of historical revolution of the notion of nature and supernature. When these are the same type of clothing that our ancestors wore because they came out of Egypt. So you kind of, you, you link yourself back to a point in history where everything was turned upside down and you reconnect to it as if you're reliving it right this moment. Because that's what it says in those boxes. So your feeling become this time machine that transports you to a different era where the veil of the illusion of physical reality was simply lifted and you could see what's really going on. So you've got this feeling on now, now again you <laughs> you become almost breathless when you start to contemplate it as before you start you open up your mouth and then you start to actually internalize the the different manifestations of the variety of gifts you've been given your sight the movement your ability to stand upright which is again Got a got a philosophical and a very practical consequence of zoikev kufufim that makes zoikev kufufim. Everything else creation is bent down. Every everything else, everything else. You'll tell me kangaroos, kangaroos, watch them. They bent down. Apes, watch them. 
They don't have the curvature at the back, at the small of your back, which makes them upright. That big missing chunk that got given to women that makes you stand straight. Interesting. Now you can stand. Hey, we've seen baboons, gorillas. They always have issues, no? Because they don't have that saying. They've got issues for other reasons. Men also have issues. But <laughs> we spoke about looking at them as mayichas. But that's another point. Tati, Tati, Alta said, I'm not so gishmak. Um, so you zoikev kufufim, yeah. Then you like you put you, you can stand on terra firma. Like just even the fact that you are, you have ground to stand, you have a place. Roikar is that you can you can actually you have movement in terms of you can go somewhere. Making it so they go there. You have the ability to overcome oitisrabikvura, and you have you have a connection to something above. It's a crown. The crown is always above the seichel. Connection to something which is. <laughs> Before you start Korbanos, never mind Baruch She'omar. Baruch She'omar, one word, well, maybe a series of words, but it was just words, and then look around you. Look around you, there's a universe in all its complexity with billions of stars and trillions upon trillions of molecules. Baruch She'omar, and between that just before they happened, there was a Shi'oma and then all that. The whole Oilam. Everything. Just Parashat. After those words, you just faint, I suppose. I don't know. This is the introductory word. And then you go to the Psukhsim and you build up this vision of the world. And then you're ready to enter into the world of the Melochim. It's called Birchus Krishma. And then you enter into the Krishma, which is this sublime transcendence to a place of unity that there's nothing else really that exists that you melt into the eternity then one would think that was where it stopped but then you still got one answer this incredibly well orchestrated standing meditation that you require the rest of Tefillah just in order to land and the men of old they required an hour's build up an hour to say it and then an hour just to get down to reality because it was so an overwhelming experience and they did that three times a day nine hours is a lot of time to spend meditating on the creator so when do they learn says the Gemara <laughs> such a Jewish question when they learn when they make a Parnassar <laughs> that's the Gemara in Baruch these people you know fine dive and dive and dive and but listen you know we're not Buddhists someone's going out there and you know for support the Vani so when they learn and it's time you know you can be diving nine hours a day but Lemaisa you know Toya <laughs> when they're going to have a Geshmaka Chiddush in Baba Kameh the nice Mahalik in Shichus ah Shadeh what's the Kasha that's <laughs> such a beautiful kasha. Who cares about the answer? The kasha is magnificent. So, all of a sudden, what happened to me is when I was when I was pondering <laughs> my form, my form, and then I saw, I looked around me, and I felt that all of a sudden, I was in this exquisitely choreographed movement with everyone else in shul. We all had our twilling on, and we all had our talasim, and we were all moving to that rhythm. And then I felt this incredible synergy. And then I felt, YES! <laughs> when we're all at this place, then I can be one, then they become me, I become them, and we're all just in the same place. But I have to shift my entire vision of myself, otherwise I can never connect to And then all of a sudden, when everything's in place, then that's also in place. And for that to be in place, everything else is in place. And that's why it's 
and then it occurred to me you know this South African innovation I don't know if you've heard about this Shamir it's been, it's been for me one of the most fascinating historical events of recent time do you know about the Shabbos project Shamir Shamir you're giving me that I don't know look so I'm going to assume you don't know about the Shabbos project gauging your body movement your lack of reaction and that confident smile uh, John you don't look like you know about it either you should because it's very relevant what happens is you've got this little country on the tip of Africa um, for Americans Africa is a continent um, it's outside of New York and there's at the tip of Africa there's a small little country it's called South Africa that, that's actually not a way of describing a part of the continent it's actually a republic that means a country there are things called countries outside of America so at the tip of at the tip of aha uh -huh. so at the tip of Africa <laughs> Kiddush, Kiddush, aye, how can it be? They don't participate in the World Series. I guess it's World Series, and they're not there. Uh, say that, they're not world. It's country without worlds. Worlds without country. We the world. They're country, it's on the side, orbiting somewhere. Because at the bottom, the tip of Africa, there's the entire country, and it's called South Africa. That's the name of the country. Um, so the, the, the major Jewish leader happens to be a rabbi. His name's the chief rabbi. Chief indicating head honcho. Um, he also has another name called Rabbi Goldstein, and he's an incredible man, and he innovated this idea that he wanted every Jew in South Africa, even though the vast majority of Jews are not religiously observant. He said, let's all keep Shabbos. That's quite a bold thing to say to people who aren't observant. <laughs> like, how do they react to that? Like, keeping Shabbos is not so simple. You have to, like, stop doing stuff. Soccer. If it involves, you know, malachas, and not soccer per se, but watching TV, eating cooked food, cooking it on the spot, etc., etc., etc. So, so, so the Jewish populations of Africa, I don't know how, what percentage, but there was a sense of we'll embrace this, and as a result, thousands of people that have never kept Shabbos in their life before, on one Shabbos, perfectly orchestrated, came together and kept Shabbos. Over 2,000 women went to an open-air challah baking experience where they baked challah with two tons of flour. Shuls were bursting at the seams. The shul that I grew up davening at, which used to get an average of 10 people on the Shabbos at best, 65 people came to sleep over, apart from those that attended the services so they wouldn't have to drive on Shabbos. Where these people overwhelmed? The overwhelming response was we felt this deep sense of unity with everyone else. Oh, but, but, but that's it! The mitzvah bound them together. All of a sudden, they connected to one another. No, but it was Shabbos, it was God. No, they connected to Avada, Efsha, yeah, connect to God. But they connect to one another. Only Vatra Kamocha possible with mitzvahs. That's what the Maral is saying. It all fits together. Without that, so then, there's no connection, because where does the overlap occur? To be pondered further, thank you gentlemen for your rapt attention.